Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Dr. Brittany Bussey, founder, president, and chief medical officer of Vital Health, not to mention a physician executive in her own right. And with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Bussey. Hi, thanks for having me, Jay. Thank you for joining us. Your background is quite unique and truly remarkable in many ways. Before we delve into your current activities, can you tell us a little bit about your background journey from medical school throughout your clinical career? Sure. So I went to medical school at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health in Madison, Wisconsin. Graduated in 2009 um, and started my medical journey as a surgical resident. So I matched here in Sacramento, California, the University of California, Davis, and started my training as a preliminary intern. So I didn't initially match as a, a resident straight out of medical school because I had applied to plastic surgery. And uh, although it was very competitive, high board scores, good grades, um, I lacked the necessary networking connections at that time to match directly into plastics. So I was looking for an opportunity to kind of like network, to prove my worth in the space and to um, do some research opportunities within the division. Uh, as UC Davis was known for their plastic surgery program that had both a combined, um, you know, direct out of medical school approach as well as a fellowship. So I was really looking to to find an opportunity there. Um, and what I found instead was a program that was not quite hospitable, didn't really meet the needs of their residents. And uh, partway into my program during my research year, I actually had a medical crisis that necessitated me leaving the program. At that point, I found myself as one of those physicians that's just not board certified in anything, um, which leaves you feeling like, you're not a full doctor. And from most insurance company standpoints, hospital standpoints, that's just basically how they label you. Like they're not going to hire you. They're not going to employ you. They're not going to, you know, contract with you. So I ended up working with an urgent care, um, really worked a lot of hours, really hard work. Um, and at the end of the day, just wasn't feeling very fulfilled in that line of work um, and thought if I was going to just practice these acute intermittent episodes of care, I might as well do it from a beach in Miami somewhere. So I thought telehealth was probably a good opportunity to do something like that. So in 2016, uh, when telehealth was still relatively early and nascent, I became uh, a medical director for an early stage telehealth company. And from there, I grew their telehealth program to something that was more akin to, you know, primary treating physician or somebody who um, really organized and monitored the care of the patient along the care continuum. So we worked primarily in workers' comp, occupational health, and I treated patients all over the state of California, in Hawaii, in Washington who never once saw me in person. And so it was a really unique opportunity to take something like telemedicine, which was seen very much as like acute and episodic care, um, and translate it into meeting a patient all along their journey and taking them through the full care continuum, as well as learning how to network and work with specialists and um, you know physical therapists, occupational therapists, all remotely. So it was really a care coordination uh, learning experience for me that led to what I do currently, 
at Vital Health, which is empowering physicians to create their own practices and really counseling them, providing them with the services that they need to, to thrive in medicine and connecting us all together within this collaborative network. Well said. I have so much respect for your entrepreneurial journey and the path that you took. Many successful physicians and indeed many great physician leaders have similar non-traditional paths. And it's just remarkable to see where you've traversed to get to where you are with Vital Health. So that being said, can you expand a bit more on the unique product offerings of Vital Health and how it can improve the patient experience, both from the physician standpoint and also enabling physicians? Of course. So, you know, an original concept for Vital Health was really to help physicians find um, their own niche within medicine, right? Because when a physician works in a practice in a hospital or an urgent care or anything like that, you're really just seen as a cog in a machine. So you are a family practice doctor, you are an internal medicine doctor, and you will practice exactly the way that the hospital has positioned you to practice. Where many physicians actually got into medicine because they have a very specific interest in treating a certain type of physician or patient or um, really meeting a patient where they are within their health journey. So we wanted to position physicians in a way that they become more autonomous and also can serve their own authentic needs. What we learned through that experience is that many physicians who already have private practices and especially in primary care are still struggling to meet the overhead requirements that they might have, whether that is, you know, rent in the space that they're in and leases in the space that they're in, staff payments, um, paying themselves a fair wage and salary at the end of the day when all of those other, um, you know, expenses are met. And we actually started looking for ways to improve the financial stability of physicians when private practice and also provide better experience for patients. My business partner, Doug, has you know a family that's been very much affected by preventable and treatable conditions like hypertension and diabetes um, with his brothers experiencing stroke and ultimately dying untimely deaths due to complications from those diseases. So we looked really, you know, strongly at a remote monitoring um, position within healthcare, you know, given our experience in digital health and, and the need for something like this, because at the end of the day, the physicians only have so much time, right? They're administrative work to do. They want to be able to counsel the patients on nutrition and exercise, but the type of one-on-one -on -one you know, continual interactions that it requires to help a patient who's maybe, you know, not willing or, or not able to enact behavioral modifications that will make an impact on their disease. It's just not tenable for a physician. Plus the amount of administrative work required to meet the billing requirements for RPMCCM is like astronomical. Most of the physicians that I encounter who've tried to roll out a program like this end up quitting about 50 patients in because they're like, that was, you know, 50 to 100 extra hours of work that I had to document every month on top of, you know, the 26 hours a day I already need to be a physician and to run a practice. So our goal was really to look at it both from the physician autonomy and empowerment standpoint, as well as a patient care standpoint, and create a fully turnkey program that allows us to protect the physician who's utilizing the program from any legal ramifications, 
ensuring full compliance with all of the Medicare rules associated with billing, and also to partner them and their patients with a certified health professional and a health coach who has the experience and the background and the time necessary to have these regular visits with patients so that they can actually realize the goals that they have in improving their health along their healthcare journey. So our goal is ultimately to improve health span and to have a practice of longevity in medicine for patients, as well as really personalizing the care that each patient receives. Well said. And I think your approach is very important in that it provides a system, a certain value that physicians may not get individually. I want to play devil's advocate a bit and uh, Mm -hmm. parse through some of the details. We had a little bit of conversation on this before, but I want to expand on it and really get your take on this. When a physician looks at RPM or CCM, as physicians are wont, they'll say, I can do this. What's so Mm -hmm. difficult about this? I can code, I can bill, I can look at one ICD per CCM, per RPM, two ICDs per CCM, RPM. I can do all the calculations. What's missing in that sense of self-empowerment, whether that's misguided or not, that a physician would have as they're trying to approach this himself or herself on this alone? Yeah, I think it's what it comes down to is is the compliance. Like I I know that documentation is a huge issue. So we had one physician who actually was allowing us to work with his patients, but he still wanted to do all the documentation himself. By the time he got up to like 60 patients, that was requiring about 60 extra hours of work per month for him just to document on these patients. Because in order to meet the requirements of RPM and CCM to the maximum amount, like you can start billing around 20 minutes a month right? But if you really want to maximize the amount of billing that you get, you can get up to 60 minutes a month for each. So it's 120 minutes per enrolled patient per month. That adds up really quickly. Like each of our health coaches can only carry a patient load of 150 patients. And you're looking at your typical doctor may have 500 more eligible patients for a program like this. So what are they going to do? Pick and choose 20 to 30 patients that they can actually manage themselves and and take the maximum amount of billing or even a minimal amount of billing every month. And the next issue is that you actually have to engage the patients regularly in the program or else they don't take their readings. If they don't take their readings, then you can't actually bill for the program. So unless you're documenting that you're spending, you know, an hour a month counseling them on how to improve their chronic diseases and you're spending, you know, another hour a month making sure that they get 16 readings a month, like you're going to have a very high degree of churn, which is very common in our in our um, division of healthcare, I guess you would call it, is that they call it the, the churn rate. And higher is around 30 to 40%, even for some of these companies that don't do a good job of engaging patients with a person, right? So it's one thing to just hand you guys a platform and say, okay, go ahead and roll your patients. We charge you $50 a month, you know, you have it at, and then the physician's office tries to hire more staff in order to keep up with the workload associated with it. And the staff may not have the necessary skills that they need in order to keep the patients engaged and keep them um, seeing results from the program. Because 
patients love their doctors. They're not just going to take their blood sugar and blood pressure because you told them to. And unless they're seeing like real results, like fewer medications, better blood sugar control, better, you know, control of their high blood or better control of their blood sugar, like they're actually seeing like fewer side effects from the medication. They have more energy. They're losing weight. Unless you're consistently hitting those metrics, but I'm not saying you can't. I think there are physicians out there who are potentially doing a really good job of this. But from what I hear when I, you know, talk to physicians, oh, I already tried this and it was awful. You know, it's like someone plopped the screen in front of me, didn't take care of any of the compliance or the billing or the, you know, people associated with the product, even large health systems. I've been told at Geisinger have failed at this because they tried to hire some staff to, to do all of this and they can't manage it. So you really need someone who's a specialist in it and whose main focus is the health and the priority is on the health of the patient because that comes across to the patient, right? Like they want a person to interact with. When they see that the health coach cares about them and takes an active interest in them, that motivates them to continue to take an active interest in their own health. I think most of us have tried and failed at some point to, you know, keep a new year's resolution to lose weight or be healthier, like understand that because the bar seems like it's set so high for all of us, right? Like I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm going to see this person who obviously spends five hours every morning on their morning routine that then they look great and they feel great. And I'm like, I don't have five hours a day, so I'm not even going to try. Like, I'm not even going to put in five minutes because if I can't put in fall five hours, then I'm going to not going to hit that bar. I'm going to disappoint myself and I'm going to disappoint everyone else. So I'm just not going to try. And with the health coaching, they get regular positive feedback and they realize like, hey, the bar is not that high. Like, I drank an extra glass of water today and my health coach was thrilled, you know, and like, and I saw a difference in my blood pressure because I cut back one cup of coffee, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, like it was actually small changes that are adding up to the big changes. And when you, you have been told your whole life that only these extreme measures are going to help you lose weight or help you live a better, healthier life. And I think most of us feel like we can't afford to do that either in terms of time or in terms of money. So it, it just make a difference to have someone like a, a trained health coach involved in the care of your patient. And we can coordinate all of that for you. Let's talk about the actual engagement itself. Mm -hmm. Unlike many physicians, you're truly immersed in the digital health space, both from a telemedicine standpoint and also from an innovation startup standpoint. So you understand digital health in ways most people, particularly many physicians, won't. Often when you ask physicians about digital health, they'll overly simplify it or they'll kind of give a cookie cutter response. What have you learned? What nuances have you picked up about the digital health space in your years of working directly in it that many physicians who may take just a cursory look at it may not necessarily understand or appreciate? Yeah, I think there's a lot about digital health that it comes across so simple, right? Like add this video to your practice and now your patients can see you remotely. And it's fine. It's just like any other visit. You just have a video involved. And in some cases, that's true. But in many cases, there's a higher level of legal compliance and documentation that's required that the companies who try to sell these things to physicians 
tend to kind of gloss over. And the same goes when they're trying to hire physicians for, you know, remote work or side gigs or whatever it is they want to call it. You know, they're really not appreciating the level of commitment that it requires from you to provide your license and your NPI number for them to do their billing. Like that is your credential. You earned it and ultimately you're responsible for it and how it's used. So when you give that digital credential to a company that is potentially lacking in ethics and diligence, you're allowing them to bill on your behalf, you know, to patients, to Medicare, to represent you as a person. And they're going to gloss over that, all of the legal implications that surround that. And I've spent a lot of time like talking to, you know, very specifically digital health care attorneys to make sure that everything that we do protects physicians, that puts us in a seat of, of control and ownership over our expertise, over our credentials, um, but that doesn't endanger us in any way. And you have to have an understanding of that. And people who aren't physicians don't understand that there are severe legal ramifications on physicians if that company does not do its due diligence on your behalf. So it may look like just a product on the surface, but at the end of the day, if you're the one providing the service that goes with that product, you're going to be legally liable for all services and even the product failure itself. If the product doesn't you know, live up to the claims that the person is making about it and you're the physician representing it. Well said. If you had to distill what key value points you offer with telehealth offers, is it the legal compliance acumen? <laughs> Is it a particular form of engagement that enhances the patient experience? Both. Talk a little bit about the value proposition. Of course. Yeah, I would say it is definitely both. Um, our motto or mission has always been happy physician, healthy patients, right? Because I am a physician. And so I take the physician viewpoint when evaluating any new product or service. So I imagine myself clinically practicing as a physician, and I try to think about all of the ways that this could negatively impact me on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm like, okay, is there going to be too much paperwork associated with it? How much extra time is it going to take me every day? Like, what you know are the boxes that I have to check to stay in compliance and to make this safe and financially viable and also a good service for my patients. So I always take that physician standpoint first off, which most companies don't even have a physician on staff, let alone one that's leading the company. You know, and the second value proposition is that it is high tech in the terms that we are completely device agnostic. We can add in any new kind of technology that comes along, whether, you know, like I said, assuming that that technology has been proven to be good for patients and to improve their lives. So, you know, switching from a blood pressure cuff that patients wear on their arms to like, I've seen everything from like a pillow that's supposed to measure your blood pressure while you're sleeping to, you know, like a watch that's supposed to measure your blood pressure and uh, a radar system, like everything. So I can evaluate all of this technology. And at any point, one of those technologies might prove more useful 
to patients and to physicians. So we have that ability to adapt to new technology. But at the same time, we're never going to say that we're going to replace the human connection with some piece of technology, whether that be an AI chatbot that's going to talk to your patients or, you know, escalating it to a nurse calling, like all of those things have their place. And it's very possible that patients could have simple conversations with an AI. But at the end of the day, that element of follow-up, of connection, of long-term relationship that the patient wants to have with a human is never going to be replaced in healthcare. So it's knowing those two aspects have to go together, that high tech needs to be continually improving and that we're in a continuous state of process improvement to make the product better for our physician clients, as well as constantly improving upon our engagement um, based on patient you know, feedback, based on physician feedback that we get and constantly improving the outreaches that we make to patients so that we know that we are having the impact that we aim to have. That's incredible. I want to expand on those key points because I want the audience to understand just how impactful that really is. In that vein, can you give two examples, one of a successful technology adoption and mm -hmm. one of an unsuccessful technology adoption and characterize what made the former successful and the latter unsuccessful? Sure. I mean, initially we would just think that like successful is our patient who is, you know, a 74 year old man whose physician adopted our remote monitoring program. At first he wasn't sure that he wanted to use it or needed to use it. You know, he talked to the health coach a couple of times and you know, he was on three medications for blood pressure and one for high cholesterol. And, you know, he was significantly overweight. At that point, you know, he started monitoring his blood pressure and his weight with the help of the health coach started on a more plant-based whole foods diet. And, you know, within a couple months was losing weight had reduced his blood pressure medication by one, come off of his statin, and he's telling the coach he feels better than he did in his 50s. Okay, like that's a real life story of somebody who not only saw the technology, was getting that real-time feedback of, hey, your blood pressure is coming down and your weight's coming down. And my physician is able to make real-time and safe changes to my medication regimen because they can see immediately like what happens if they stop a medication. Some physicians might be afraid, right, to take somebody off of a blood pressure medication that they determined that the patient needed because they don't want them to have a heart attack or a stroke when they remove that medication. But with the comfort level they get of the real-time monitoring, they know like, hey, I can at least have the patient maybe take a half dose one day and for a couple of weeks and then see where the blood pressure is on and then finally take it away. And I know the patient still has the medicine and can go back on it at any time if it's needed. But I can see right away in real time the response that my patient is having to these modifications on their behavior. So that's a situation where things have worked really well, right? I think where, you know, I, I can't think of like a personal situation because we tend to use technology in a very straightforward way, I think, at Vital Health. Um, you know, at least for us personally, 
I know though, like there are ways that we could improve, right? For instance, glucometers, right? Most patients who have diabetes, I was under the mistaken impression that they used a glucometer on a regular basis, but most of them don't. And I totally understand why when I was having, you know, hypoglycemic episodes during residency, I didn't want to poke my finger and I have like a severe needle phobia too. So even like that little, like, ah, like it reminded me of being a kid. And that's how they used to take your labs when you were a kid, right? Like they'd poke your finger and they'd squeeze a drop of blood until they could fill up a little capillary tube with the blood. And I'm just, I was petrified of it. And so I get it. Like the, the patient's don't want to check their blood sugar, um, but that prevents us from helping them. So, you know, currently looking at how do we integrate with devices like Dexcom or the Libra device, it's relatively simple. And like I said, platform being device agnostic and us being, you know, an agile technology corporation, that's something that we can easily add to our device and monitoring program. And it's something where physicians don't normally capture the billing associated with these devices. Like I was speaking with a, a group the other day and, and they put the patients on the devices and they prescribe them and they can see the numbers coming back from these devices in real time. And so can the patients, but yet they're not capturing any billing for RPM and CCM. It's like, that is a place where physicians are missing out on significant revenue. And the patients are missing out on the opportunity to improve their lives by actually taking those numbers and making real change, right? Like they can see that they're running a little bit high and the coach can help them make changes to their diet to help with that. So they don't have to live in this black box anymore where we don't find out how your diabetes is doing until I get your next hemoglobin A1C. And even that only reflects like, you know, six months previous. And, you know, I need to know in real time, like, how is your blood sugar? Have you been under stress? And that can be really important, especially in the case of surgical procedures, right? So if you're about to get a knee or hip replacement and you want to prevent a post-surgical infection or blood clots or anything else of that nature, it's really important to know what your blood sugar is doing. And then because of the surgery, you're going to be in a highly inflammatory state that's going to boost your blood sugar even more. And maybe because of the pain you're in prior to surgery, you're in a really highly inflammatory state, or maybe you're taking steroids to help manage that pain. But the only data your surgeon has for planning you know, around the surgery is your last hemoglobin A1C, which looked normal, right? And that's not real-time data. That's not going to help the surgeon you know, understand what your risks are or help you be aware of those risks and, you know, potentially you would need an insulin sliding scale, you know, for a time period. So we can have that real-time data. We can have primary care doctors working with these patients who are in these high-risk situations and we can take some of the risk out of it for those surgical patients and for the surgeons as well. There's lots of unique ways to use technology that people just aren't taking advantage of. On that note, how do you evaluate patients to determine their degree of technology adoption? How can you tell a patient is likely to adopt technology well, integrate it well into his or her care experience versus some patients who may be a bit more reluctant and may need less technology in his or her care experience? Yeah. 
Um, for us, we just try to make the technology as simple and straightforward as possible. I think that that impetus is on us to make sure that a, phys- a patient with any level of technological comfort could easily use a piece of equipment that we're giving to them. So, you know, from our standpoint, we've adopted technology that utilizes a cellular hub because most patients, you know, may not feel comfortable with a Bluetooth connection. Um, They may not understand how to utilize the app, how to upload the data. So we made it so simple that they just plug in the port and then they just use the device like they normally would, like step on the scale. It takes a reading. Like they don't really need to have any comfort level, even with smartphone use to be able to utilize our technology. I said the same thing about, you know, potentially integrating with these Dexcom and Libra devices is because like all the patient has to do is stick it to their arm, right? Like they don't need to know what to do after that, like turn it on. You know, we would have one of our our coaches work with them to, to download the app or whatever else needed to be done. But once it's transmitting, we just simply have to create all the connections on the back end to pick up that data. So that is one key for us when we're evaluating a type of technology to make sure that it is very simple for patients to use, that there's no question of whether or not they're going to be able to follow through on taking the readings every month that they need to take. Well said. In the remaining time that we have, I'd like to perhaps discuss the future, both for you, Dr. Bussey, and with telehealth, at least for the remainder of 2024. Where do you see the company moving forward? Yeah, for us, you know, in our company, we really just honed our process, I think, over 2023, like looking at how we bring on new physician clients, how we reach physicians with the prospect of utilizing this technology, um, how we interact with physician groups and their, you know, in-house staff, whether that be like billing or even like external um, revenue cycle management companies, like all of that is a learning process, you know, for us. And I think I said, being, having this background in, in development and agile and we move very quickly and we adapt very quickly to those things. So we're going to continuously be learning as we grow, um, you know, 2024 and beyond. Um, I'm excited about some of the new technologies that are out there. Um, you know, things that have been shared with me just in the past two weeks um, since I presented at the Innovator MD conference. Um, there's a lot of interesting new technologies out there and lots of innovative ways for using them. So I love expanding the impact of primary care doctors. I think that that's, that's very needed, but there's also many applications that people are, are missing out on when it comes to, you know, surgical and preoperative planning and patient optimization, as well as postoperative recovery. So that is definitely an area we're actively looking at with some of our partners um, and really excited to grow in that space because that's some place that I have a lot of experience, right? Like three years of, of experience in a hospital working with post-surgical patients. Um, and then looking at, you know, the hospital at home market, uh, things of that nature, what to do with patients who are, are post-discharge or borderline for discharge who just need um, some extra eyes and ears during that post-discharge period to make sure that they don't end up back 
in a hospital. So I'm excited to to keep building with the partners that we currently have and expanding our impact in their patient population, um, growing the capabilities of our health coaches and the technology that we use. And also, you know, like I said, expanding the utilization, making more connections with physicians in different specialties. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of my job is I meet with physicians on a weekly basis, different specialties, different backgrounds. And I find out what is the most pressing thing for them. Like, how would they use this technology? What technology is missing from their practice? And then I go out and try and see if it exists, if we can build it, if we can help them in some way. So always open to hearing from physicians about their needs and their particular practice and, and finding a way to help them. Well said. Uh, for those who may be interested in getting a hold of you, uh, what's the best contact information? Yeah, that probably the best way to get a hold of me is always LinkedIn. <laughs> Surprisingly, mm -hmm. like people love to DM me on LinkedIn, and then I can send you a Calendly invite, um, and we can get on. You can get on my schedule. I think that's like the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, you can go to vitalhealth.com. Um, if you use the contact us link, um, you'll get in contact with business development. So if you just want to go straight to business development, go for it. <laughs> but if you want to just chat with me first um, for 30 minutes, then that's good too. I always can send people onwards to business development once we determine if it's a good fit. But if you're a physician and you just want to talk to another physician about the program, about the, the goals that you have for yourself and for your patients, or even if you don't have a practice yet and you're just exploring what it would look like for you, um, always happy to have a call with any physician who needs to chat. Awesome. And with that, Dr. Buzzy, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thanks for having me.